Pete, there's a well-known old phrase, the calmer the cow, the sweeter the milk. How many times have you used that this week? Uh, I think probably twice. Probably twice? That's weird because I just made it up. But (laughs) it is true. Dairy farmers around the world strive to reduce stress and anxiety in their cattle because calm cows equal higher yields of better quality milk. For example, have you seen in America, have you seen any of those videos of cows brushing up against those sort of really large rotating bristles? Oh, Almost like they're yeah, scratching like their scratchers. own backs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that is to, uh, they can massage and scratch themselves. That's to really help relax them. Oh, in other countries, there are farms and dairy farms that play classical music which has also been known to help relax the cows mm-hmm. as they're uh, cowing around. And now, finally, at the Rus Maloko Dairy Farm near Moscow, Russia. Hey, Moscow! They've finally taken the next inevitable step. <gasps> Pete, I would like to show you something. Take a look at your where I put pictures. Where do you thing. do that? There's one. What do you see? Oh, Tom! What does it look like? It's, that's not... Is that not real? It's 100% real. That is... That's... That's a cow with VR goggles on. That is a cow wearing virtual reality goggles. That's right. Each cow in this dairy farm, this is 100% real. And so much so, I found it on three different articles to make sure I wasn't onioning myself. Each cow is specially fitted with its own VR headset. They work with veterinarians to make sure these aren't just like human sized ones that they're sort of like retrofitting for cows. They're making these completely new and they're also... They're they're bespoke VR cow. (laughs) (laughs) The team ensured to create VR views that work with a cow's vision also because cows have a higher perception. Because their eyes are like on the side of their heads, right? (laughs) That, but also they have a higher perception of the color red, but weaker tones of blue and green. And so they even took those into account. And what do you think in order to relax these cows and make them happy? What do you think they're looking at? What is Russia missing most of the time? (laughs) That seems like a loaded question. (laughs) Freedom? Yeah, bread. Okay, good point. But as far as cows are concerned... Uh, green I don't, I don't summer. know how to recover yeah. from that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's actually green summer fields. Wow. That the cows are looking around and seeing these beautiful green summer fields instead of the non-democratic dystopian <laughs> nightmare that they're living in. <laughs> hey, Russian listeners, <laughs> please leave our country alone. <laughs> we clearly know nothing about your country. Yeah, we know nothing. Sorry. Except the news has us really scared that you now run our country. So, uh, yeah. You're apparently anyway, the so, Klingons and you were in the Hunger Games and you weren't the good guys. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. But so, yeah, now we've brought virtual reality to help cows relax. And wow. I think that is wonderful until, in a very American way, I realized, hey, do you know who doesn't have a VR headset? You. Me. <laughs> And I don't, I wouldn't use it to play green summer field games. I would play like Beat Saber and stuff. So now I'm angry that Russian cows have a better lifestyle than me. So cows won. Tommy Zero. You told me I'm your anchor. I told you you're my pole. Through the wind and fire, we try to hold on. We build this ship together, searching for a home. Despite the storm that hit us, we're still on board. 
Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out, send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at what's that smell.net. And uh, you you just might, you just might get on the show. Uh, oh. I know, right? Right? Ooh. And you know what else you should do? What's that smell.net slash merch. You can go and, uh, and get yourself the Universal Truth uh, t-shirt, mug, uh, uh, what else? Stickers, uh, yeah. maybe a magnet. I'm wearing the There Is No Calm tuxedo right now. It is. The- <laughs> it is. I actually had to do a, uh, a show, a, a meeting with another person who is not on this show who showed up wearing a What's that smell? There is no calm hoodie. And I was very impressed. Wow. That they chose to flex like that for me. It's the first time I've seen one in the wild. It was really delightful. So uh, you can get your very own. And, you know, I don't know. By the time you listen to this, probably the sales are over. But that doesn't mean that we won't take your money if you pay full price. It's the least we can do. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I'll go first. Hooray. Tom, when we were planning this season, mm. uh, I had this plan to do every one of my individual anxieties on the same topic. Oh, really? It sounds a little bit like overwrought. I get that. But it's, it is, it just, I felt like I had it. It was going to be my little gimmick for the season. I had Your little six, Easter egg. my little sure. Easter egg, and it was all going to be related to the same overarching experience of my life. Just like I had this little amusement park of specific fears that I address <laughs> daily right now in my life, it's like the Matterhorn of Depression over there, Space Mountain <laughs> Blind Terror over there. And... <laughs> And of course, you know, through the course of, of planning, you come up with all these other wonderful things that you've that are literally like plaguing your nights yeah. and uh, like sloshing blood and flattening eyeballs and all that kind of. Yeah. I thought it would right. be unfair to mm. be quite so anxiety monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> Another possible title for this podcast. There's I love more it. anxiety out there right. than, than just one guy. You know uh, what you are? You're an anxiety swigger. <laughs> That's what we should have. We should have called this anxiety key party. Oh, well, I'll tell you that at least would have been better for our SEO. Um, right. Look, here's the, the downside of season four. And I, I, oh. is that I now have a bunch of things that terrify me all at the same time. And I have to do them all today. What? Yeah, all at once. So get ready. Are you cornucopying it? A little bit. So to kick us off, I would like to present a dramatic reading about depression and thoughts of suicide as performed by a child. It wasn't until after I seriously contemplated suicide that I was ready to handle a $30 million check. I closed the doors of my first startup in the summer of 2001. I was thoroughly broke, depressed, and feeling the burden of losing hundreds of thousands of dollars of other people's money. Loneliness, darkness, hopelessness, those words don't capture the feeling of the profound self-doubt that sets in after a failure. Loneliness, darkness, hopelessness, those words describe the environment of depression. Self-doubt? That shakes you to the core and starts a fracture in your identity that makes you question if you should even exist anymore. I assume he was talking about a lemonade stand. (laughs) 
price a $30 million lemonade stand. I, it's, that was adorably sad. It's very sad. That was written by Ben Ha, who was at the time the CEO of Cheeseburger Networks. Remember, I Can Has Cheeseburger? Oh, with the cat? Uh, yeah. The cat. And it, it became a network of comedy sites that is fantastic. He's also co-founder of Circa. Um, and he is now at Y Combinator and is a very successful entrepreneur and is wired that way. But in this particular post uh, from November 19th, 2014, uh, actually, I think it was originally published on his website. This is uh, it's, it's now available permanently on Medium. Um, it's it's called When Death Feels Like a Good Option. And it's the story of uh, building your own business and what it feels like to fail as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So uh, it's it's hard to read that because um, it, we are also in uh, a kind of a cycle right now of entrepreneurs and vulnerability. It, I, I that's just me sort of trying to be a little bit observant through the own veil of of darkness. So let me take a step back and tell you how I started thinking about all this stuff again. Okay. I started my own business. I quit the the corporate job and started my own business to do my own thing back in 2007, August 1st, 2007. And uh, it was, I, I started with a mission to never hire anybody. I I oh. didn't I didn't want to hire employees, right? Yeah. I wanted to be a, a gig worker. I wanted to be a contract worker. I wanted to because I started my business, and I don't think this is a great position. I I want to say that out loud because I know you're going to listen to this saying, "Well, he is doomed to fail." Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's a good position to start with a paralyzing fear of having somebody else's livelihood dependent on your ability to sell. That's Ooh terrible. Too much responsibility. Right? Right. That's exactly it. And I was terrified of that. And I thought, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. My job is going to be to help uh, small and medium-sized businesses tell their stories. Uh, I'm going to help them, you know, spin up podcasts. I'm going to do this co-hosting thing. I'm going to do it by myself. And that's really hard because, you know, just never hiring staff is a limiting factor. You hit a ceiling on your time and what you're what's available to you. Sure. But that fear has been consistent and steadfast for me for, well, now, what is that, 12 years going on, 13 years? The fear of maybe having to hire of, someone? Well, of having some, the, the, somebody else's livelihood dependent on my performance. Got That's, it terrifying. I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. It's like, so yesterday uh, I I was approached by Simplecast. Simplecast is a is a podcast host and, okay. and much more. And they are the the network behind Rash Pixel FM, right? All the podcasts ah. that I do, uh, close to four thousand individual episodes since oh, I started sure. podcasting. Close to four thousand podcasts. No, no, like, no. Well, no, you Amazon, must not know since, how numbers work. Since I started okay. podcasting back in in two thousand six, they're all hosted at Simplecast. So Simplecast Got it. for the last year since I moved there has has been calculating a lot of data on me and, and what people do with my shows. And uh, they approached me and they said, look, 
you have enough shows, enough podcasts, and are getting enough downloads that, you know, we'd like you to to consider moving to our network plan. And we'd like to present a custom contract to you to, to see what that would look like. And that'll give you access to things like, um, you know, a more robust network uh, or advertising uh, opportunities and, and bigger contracts there. It'll cost you some more money a month, but it's going to be custom. We're going to try and give you something that's pretty close to what you're paying now for all the individual shows. It's going to be great. It's like, it was very businessy, you know, it felt like a businessy business, business sure, meeting. Sure, adult time. Oh, super adult time. And then it was three o'clock in the afternoon, hours have passed, and I'm sitting on my couch like in the dark, staring at oh. the cushion on the other oh, side no. of the couch, holding my left arm. Like I was in a full low grade meltdown of oh, no. silence and darkness, right? And they're like talking to me about how we'd like to help you. We'll give you some, we're, we've got some right. consulting on, on tap. We'd like to do all these things for you. It's like nothing but good. And my response is, wow, wow. Like how okay. is that a rational response to somebody trying to, to reach out to help you? Somebody who calls you right. to give you compliments that the things you are doing are actually good. So what's going on in there? I don't know, man. What's going on in there? That's why I'm talking to you about this. Okay. It seems like maybe imposter syndrome mixed with fear of success. Oh, yeah. With- and, and don't forget, I'm a man child. Like, there's some Peter Panning going on in there. Like, I'm terrified <laughs> right. to grow up and be a big boy. And sure. uh, even though I, I worked for many years in a job that required a suit, and I yeah. did things. I sat in meetings. I had a leather folio and a cross pen. I had the oh. set, a cross pen and pencil set. Like, why does that exist? Wow. Did you think about talking to Mr. Simplecast and just say, look, uh, I really appreciate your trust in me, but I'm Peter Panning and I'm afraid of being a big boy. <laughs> I... Did you ever think about saying that to their face? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a boy and I used to wear a suit and I had a pencil, but I'm afraid of becoming a big boy. <laughs> I'm a boy. What do you think? I'm a boy in a beard. <laughs> I have a boy beard. And then just hang up. So, okay. so that's that is is kind of where I live. It's this fear of like entrepreneuring, right? Of starting sure. something that where where I am actively like increasing the stakes. Right. Uh, right. I, I'm like comfortable where the stakes are. But then, you know, and, and it's it's very fluid when things change. I'm pretty adaptable. If I have a client that that, uh, you know, outgrows me, which is a thing that I am super honored for like when when a client when we when they just get too big for what I can do it usually means that I've helped them get there and that it's time to say goodbye and like break a champagne bottle over the bow of their ship and move on and and because I have a number of clients I tend to be pretty resilient at that and okay. um, and it's it's easy Is to there change. any twinge of being left behind or wishing when that happens is there any part of you that feels I wish I was a little bit taller I wish I was a baller I'm, <laughs> <laughs> is, are you are you partially skilo? Is I'm, I'm a little bit skilo. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. uh, so it's it's less skilo than Billie Eilish. Like if you haven't watched the hostage video, you should go watch that because I'm the guy who's trapped by the webs at the end of the in the cocoon of no. fear. No, okay. I so it, there there probably is some of that, but not as much as you'd think because I really okay. am not motivated by those sorts of extrinsic kind of motivators. Sure, like, like the 
the fear that I have is tends to to come around like just being able to contribute to putting food on the table and making sure that we have, you know, what we need to get the kids through college and doing those kinds of things, which are serious big kid anxieties. Yeah, because when you said you never wanted to have other people to be in charge of other people's livelihood. I think that was one of the phrases that you use as employees. Yeah. You do. I mean, you have children. Yeah. But and I know be, that you have a code. They do not contribute to my bottom line in a positive way, in a net positive way. <laughs> so does that make it easier? <laughs> they're just, they're just here. They're just they're here. Just, they're fine. Okay. They're they fine. They're, That's what you said when they, I asked if they were honor students. <laughs> they're fine. Let's just say they're not. They're not uh, sitting at a desk here doing any design work for a client. You know what I mean? Got like it. we're okay. not quite there yet. They're at school. That's where they need to be. So and you don't feel that re- reciprocity pressure. I don't because you know what it is. Got like, it. and I think I I had this conversation with an old boss. My very first boss um, it was fantastic, and he sat me down like when he hired me i switched from temp to perm you know i was one on one of those like temporary relationships he said we'd like to hire you outright and buy out your temporary contract and have you here full time and it it was great and um and and he said you know part of what goes into crafting a compensation package is you know we kind of are looking at things as a small business like how do we help you because it's not just you i know that you are growing a family and you're newly married and what about kids like am i going to give you a compensation package that is going Mm. to entice you to stay here um while you do those things because those things are going to cost you and and am i going to give you the resources that that make it feel like you're going to be in a position to support your family and i don't yeah super adult right like that that is a such a warm and rational way to approach compensation discussions much less yeah. than like well hr says you're in the c category and i don't know what that means but that means you make x to y and that's it that's as far as it, letters it, it, yeah it, sure. it's not great so i i have carried that conversation around with me for 25 years right which is just yeah. like how is it that like do i ever want to have that conversation with somebody else and on one hand yeah i like i feel like it would be great to help somebody else start a family and come to work for me and do that and that's that is oh. a fantastic like aspirational thing do i feel like i'm ready for that uh do i have the business like the idea ready to go uh no i'm terrified of that like i'm terrified sure. of whatever the next thing is until it's launched. So I started searching, right? I did a little research. Oh. And oh I, I wanted to see if I was alone because, you know, you want to know, are you alone? Yeah. So I just want to tell you. are. I said... <laughs> You looked it up and it's like, Pete, you're alone. I did. I searched for entrepreneur phobia, (laughs) fear of entrepreneurship, starting your own thing. Right. And I want to tell you what I found and how I went about uh, narrowing down my sources. The first article uh, that I got to was 11 fears every entrepreneur must overcome. Well, that's too many fears. And so I went to the next (laughs) article, the top 10 most common fears of entrepreneurs. Well, that's still kind of on the high end. But we're getting closer. Thank goodness I I ran into uh, the eight biggest fears of entrepreneurship and how to face eight. 
Okay, I'll keep that tab open, but oh, good. The seven fears all entrepreneurs must conquer. I'm not joking with you here. <laughs> is it, like, this I is... would like it if it was the same writer and he just kept <laughs> taking one off <laughs> and then republishing his off. article. <laughs> well, luckily, I could go from seven to six. The six biggest fears of on- no, too oh. many. How about five yeah. phobias that the three smallest are killing fears. your small business? Oh. Five phobias. What are we down to five? We We're at five. Uh, Apparently, four is not a great number because the next one up is three common fears of entrepreneurs and what to do about them. And I was feeling pretty (laughs) solid about digging into this article. We've gone from 11 to three until I found what I fear most as a founder. There's just one. And that's where we start, everybody. Just the one is all I care about. Get me (laughs) over this. And the picture on the article is a young woman in jeans underwater in like a Zen Lotus pose. And right in front of her face is a great white shark. And so, (laughs) well, A, her entrepreneur business idea sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how she's going to make any money from that. All of them, from 1 to 11, they all include, as number one, a variant of fear of failure, whether it's housed in fear of change, housed in fear of like not doing the right thing, uh, fear of not being able to pay people like it's Mm -hmm. all fear wrapped up in like fear of of failure, fear of losing everything, fear of of everything. And what it keeps coming back to is like you're you're afraid you're going to fail. But what is that rooted sure. well, in? If you're an entrepreneur, it would be very difficult, I would think, to dis- to separate yourself from your business. Yeah. I think you would become your business and your company. Yeah. And so if it failed, that's a real loss of self. Yeah, right. Right. And and that that's what gets into, you know, imposter syndrome as a element of right. failure. Like you're going to fear you you fear that you're going to fail because you'll be found out that you don't yep. really know what you're talking about. You don't really know who you are. So where these paths really diverge and I mean seriously diverge. And if you look at that picture, it's it's like you're talking to the girl in the lotus flower and then you're also talking to the shark and they both have very predictably differing opinions. Right. (laughs) What the girl is going to say, the nice girl in the lotus flower position, she's going to say, you should have a plan B. If you have a plan Mm. B, you'll have the confidence to forge ahead. What do you think the shark is going to say? Meat. He doesn't say meat because we're actually oh. anthropomorphizing the shark now. And you've, you've sort of oh. taken the metaphor and taken it in a new direction. I like that. I like that sort oh, of blue okay. sky Sorry. thinking that you're doing here. But we're going <laughs> to let gonna me try again. The try. shark goes. <laughs> <laughs> the shark says no plan B, Tom. Right. He says no, plan, no B. plan B because you don't need a plan B. You know who gets who, who has a plan B? Nobody on Shark Tank. That's right. They all just do the one thing. That's all you got. You put all of your mm. eggs in one basket. You put all of your, you know, fish in the sea. Anyway, mm. uh, and and so that's where they, they, but they all have the same thing. Like the things that you, especially the ones who have failed and have failed extravagantly when they've lost thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of dollars of other people's money and livelihoods. And, uh, and that is something that is a, is a universal experience. And so I, I, you know, I'm, this wasn't really helping me, right? None of this was really helping. I was mostly just wrapping myself up a little bit tighter in my blanket and ready to turn the lights out and sit down on the couch. Yep. And 
then I went back to Ben Hu's <laughs> original post. Oh, oh. Right. Nine years after I left that room, I would call Brad Feld to invest $30 million in my oddball company. Before I pick up the phone, I thought long and hard about losing that money. Every single penny of it. And I was okay with it. Failure is an option and a real risk. Failure and risk are things entrepreneurs understand well and learn to manage. However, death isn't an option. It's an inevitability. And before I die, I want to take as many swings at the fence as I can. Oh, oh. And, and I, I really like that. It, it, Lin-Manuel Miranda posted on, uh, or was doing an interview, and he said something fascinating. It was a podcast interview, and he said, uh, you know, we, I had Hamilton. And I know that's already the first line on my headstone or my obituary. I know that. <laughs> like I've my got, headstone. <laughs> I've got that lot. That is a big gravestone. <laughs> he started with Hamilton, and then do you remember in the Heights? And you're like, come on, <laughs> that's right. Wait, Settle down. There's minute, other people buried here. Yeah. Okay. So he said, you know, this is in my obituary. I know I've got the first line taken care of. So, wow. What else am I going to do? Yeah. I could stop doing stuff. Is the the idea, or I could just see what's next. And right. uh, And so the combination of those things I find uh, comforting. Am, am I over my fear? No, but I will tell you that I, I, uh, I'm, I'm working through it and, uh, I, it's time, it's time for some change and I'm excited about what's happening next. And I, I think that'll involve more risk. Yeah. And now I know, like I'm talking about how depressing it is for me to sit here in my little quaint, little stupid podcast, uh, outfit, <laughs> but you like have literally done this with people and many, many thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, in making what? movies. Oh, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. No, that is something that I... Yes, I generally try to not think about that, that I'm taking up so much people's time and hard work and money mm -hmm. in being the director because you sort of, although it is such a collaborative process, it is sort of my name at the top and I'm the one that makes the final, final decisions. And so I generally have to work very hard in not thinking about that until the movie's over. And then that's all I think about <laughs> But what's so funny is there, about that is, this is enough like, success? Am yeah. I doing enough? Are they mad at me? <laughs> Are they mad at me? Because it seems like, and this is a little bit of a sideline, it seems like you make all the decisions until you're done with the movie, and then you make none of the decisions anymore. No. Like, and then it's just you throw it into the wind. Yeah. That's terrifying. How, why are you out of bed again? Well, I just realized the problem with my business model might be that I do finish a film and I do throw it into the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why we haven't come out on Amazon Prime yet. I should probably go look on my front lawn. <laughs> it's just a bunch of films and then a cockroach in a towel. <laughs> that's what's in my front lawn. <laughs> In anxiety, Tom, the year is oh. 1500, 1500, 1500. It was a common yep. year starting on a Wednesday of the Julian calendar, Tom. No wonder they're anxious. Hump day, am I right? <laughs> there was some big news in 1500. Oh. The Spanish navigator Vincente Yanez Pinchon reached the northern coast of Brazil. 
Okay. Here. Portuguese navigator Pedro Alvarez Cabral officially discovered Brazil and claimed the land for the Kingdom of Portugal. That's big. Oh. Yeah, it's a big uh, team kind of a, a thing there. So big for Brazil. The last wolf in England was killed that year making the species extinct in England. Oh. Wolves went extinct in England, Tom. Busy year. Yeah. Yeah, it was killed in Olifwate in Cumbria. Uh, so Why? that's Well, you know, they were... It's apropos of nothing. Name. They were very upset uh, about wolf wolfing. And it, they were much more <laughs> happy about the uh, wolf hounds that killed them all. No, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, they, God, they just... They're savages. What I really want to talk to you about, though, is the fact oh. that the year 1500 was halftime after the time. It was the year in which the, a grand apocalypse was due to occur, which appeared in the book of Revelation and was seen to as referring as 1500. <gasps> this was the time just after the old world's discovery of the Americas in 1492 and was influenced by the new world. And Tom, 1500 was one of the grand comings of the apocalypse. Ah, oh, the horsemen! By the Christians in Europe. The Christians oh, no. in Europe thought the world was going to end. This was their overriding anxiety on the year 1500, common year starting on a Wednesday. They thought the world was going to end. Oof, that is a lot to take. At least we got rid of all those dumb wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Just in time for the world to be thrown into the sea. Is that how? Is that what <laughs> Revelation says? <laughs> And while you're planning for the apocalypse, might as well take time to download a wonderful audiobook from Audible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. 800 million titles to choose from for your rectangles, and you get a free book, and you also get to support the show. And speaking of entrepreneurship, Pete, have you heard of Facebook? No. <laughs> No? Well, here's the time to hear about it. Not read about it. Hear about it. The Accidental Billionaires, written by Ben Mesrick. This is the founding of Facebook, a tale of sex, money, genius, and betrayal. This is the book that uh, the social network was loosely based on, and it's an incredible story of the founding of Facebook. Clearly, one of the most entrepreneur-ish things that we've had in America in a really long time. Uh, it's a fantastic story, and it really is, if you're a fan of the movie, there's a lot more in the book uh, to enjoy and listen to. And it's bite-sized. It's only 7 hours and 19 minutes, so you will make it to the apocalypse on time. For the listeners of What's That Smell, we Audible is offering through us, it was our idea, a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. To give you the opportunity to check it out, again, go to audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast, and if you're a real meseric head like pete apparently is you can see how you what you should have done with your time in college meseric what? head it's a right? mes head <laughs> peter it's my time i'm the entrepreneur of this next segment and it's tommy time it is time it's not actually tommy time because i have a listener sub Mission. How are you feeling, Pete? Standing. I'm Ooh. feeling like I'm wrapped in a warm blanket in the dark. <laughs> Holding your left arm and yeah. being afraid of success. I get it. Okay, here we go. Listener submission. He writes, hey guys, after 40 episodes, I'm... Su have we done 40 episodes? Oh yeah, we have. Wait. Yeah, we're right up there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. After 40 episodes, I'm surprised nobody's mentioned my anxiety yet, which makes me think I'm a special case. 
causing even more anxiety. Yep. <laughs> That's the loop. As far back as I can remember, I've had this weird anxiety around large boats. I'm not talking about yachts, but those monstrous tankers, aircraft carriers, and other inconceivably sized vessels. I have no problem on ships, so I don't think it's a maritime issue, but rather seeing something as common as a propeller as big as a dinosaur really freaks me out. Can any of you relate? And that comes to us from Justin. Well, Justin, first and foremost, as always, thank you so much for submitting. We really appreciate it. And Pete, this was an interesting one to research because it toes the line on a number of different anxieties. There's navophobia, which is the fear of boats or ships, but that doesn't seem to be the case for our Justin because he says he's fine on boats. And there's an interesting one. There's submechanophobia. Have you ever heard of submechanophobia? No, that's a, that's a made-up thing. You're making that up right now. <laughs> I am. Smoke bomb, and then I just run away. Uh, no, it's submechanophobia is the fear of fully or partially submerged man-made objects in water, such as shipwrecks or the yeah. underwater part of a ship's hull, or even just old metal sitting at the bottom of the sea. That's not what I think he's talking about. I was having trouble narrowing it down, so I went back and reread his post, and I reread his word choices. Monstrous tankers inconceivably sized vessels, propeller as big as a dinosaur. And I would like to gingerly posit that boats are just the way a certain very well-shared anxiety manifests for him. I'm going out on a limb and saying, I believe he's suffering from megalophobia. Is that just like fear of big things? It's fear of large objects. What? Correct. Wow. And if that is what it is, uh, Champion Justin, then look at the internet because you are not alone. Now, the fear of large objects might seem overly representative, but there's a big distinction. The fear or anxiety is usually associated with objects that are larger than the actual thing they are representing. So in Justin's case, he said he's not talking about yachts. Most boats and yachts, you can, you know, metaphorically or emotionally, however it is, get your arms around it. You can sort of understand it. Yeah. Uh, but an aircraft carrier is a dinosaur-sized version of a boat or a yacht, and that can obviously give a lot of anxiety for people. Now, Pete, before I move forward, do you have any kind of connection? Because I wasn't sure if I did. Well, it's so fascinating that you bring this up. Oh. I, I obviously and historically, I have a, a fear of, you know, the open water lakes. Yep. Yeah, I'm not crazy about it. Nope. So big boats. Faslophobia. Yeah. So big boats, I have a I I'm actually okay with big bigger boats. And I've always been okay on like ferries, uh, because they're so big, they seem, and I know this is just my brain giving me a false sense of comfort, but they seem like impenetrable, unbreakable oh, yep. to me. Then I opened up my stupid news app this morning on my phone. And the first story that comes up is, why do cruise lines keep sawing their ships in half? <laughs> what? And of course, that's clickbait. This is this morning. I had no idea that you were going to bring this so up. So timely. Then, so timely. If you go to this, you, all of the major ocean liners, right? The, the cruise liners. Like this Carnival their, and stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they've been doing this since the 80s, right? When they need to retrofit a ship. That has been in service for decades. They need to like, you know, spruce it up. They will bring it into dry dock. They will saw it in half. I mean, not saw it. They use Why like, is tor that torches and stuff. Mm -hmm. Why don't you yeah. just redecorate? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> and then they move the two parts apart and insert new boat 
Oh, it's oh, like Legos. Frankenboat. Oh, that, they that's a better thing. They boat it. Right. And, and they weld it all back together. And now what's on the inside? They've just added maybe 80, maybe 100 new passenger rooms. They're probably better decked out, these new passenger rooms. Right. You plug them all into the existing services, and now you have a new, longer boat. You can charge more for the... So all of that is to say, I now... I'm not crazy about cruises because I know that they've been franken boating. And of, of this course, morning. <laughs> the first thing I want to do if I come up to any boat is look for seams now. Like, <laughs> did they really seal it appropriately? Because I saw the Poseidon Adventure, all of them. That's and, right. And they, uh, they're always upside well, down. Everybody. No, yeah. Everything's upside yeah. down. Titanic. Jack was not able to hold on, y'all. He's gone. That's well, the boat wasn't <laughs> that was just a plank of wood. He was on a headboard. <laughs> but still, headboards. Maybe there was a part of another headboard in the middle yeah. of that headboard. Oh. That was that was actually weakened. It was structurally weakened because it really they sawed it in half, Tom. And I know. And Rose, there was so much room. <laughs> On well, that board. We all know that. We all <laughs> Rose. Know that. Hey, Rose, yeah. scoot over. Yeah, uh, anyway. Right. Well, okay, good. I'm glad you have a connection because I didn't think I did until I was typing this up. And I remembered what I always do with skyscrapers. Yeah. A, the term skyscraper, I have anxiety about it. Yeah. I've always felt that that's a creepy term because God didn't want us to reach the clouds, so he knocked over our Babel Tower, and we're all down here. Just kidding. Anyway, sure as hell doesn't want you scratching it. He doesn't want, yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> right. We were trying to build a thing to heaven, and instead, now we're just sort of scratching its back. I get it. But this is a thing that I did as a child, and I still do it every time. When you are standing here, I want to ask you, Pete, when you're standing at the bottom, at the very base of a skyscraper, and you want to look up, to the top, what do you, this isn't a trick question, do you do anything or do you just look up? I'm putting myself in that, yeah. head, I'm closing my eyes, I'm thinking about it. I uh, I don't yeah. look up, first of all. Oh, you don't. And if I have to look up, because sometimes I like looking up because, you know, I'm a photographer. I like to take pictures sure. of lines going up to the sky. It's it's interesting stuff. Yep. And, but I always, and I, I've always said... <laughs> This is actually really funny that you asked this. I've always said to myself that I'm doing this particular thing because of the camera. But now as I think about it, I do this as a matter of habit, whether there's a camera in my hand or not. I always brace myself. Yes. Is that what you do? I have to touch the building and it's to brace myself. Okay. I was wondering, why do I do that? Because I do that all the time. Uh, but it's just about big buildings. Because I look up in the sky all the time like a right. champ, and I never fall right. over. Why am I bracing myself? I stare into the sun for hours <laughs> every day, Pete. And all I yeah. get are the blindies. No, I think I'm partly touching the building because, A, it can be a little dizzying to look up like that. But really, what I think it is, is I'm grounding myself. Yes. I do not want to lose myself in its giganticness. Yep. If there's something so large that I can't even see the top, then where does that leave me? I am an ant, and I hate ants. We but, hate ants. But, that's settled science. But touching it grounds me. And I wonder if that's a connection with this idea of overly large things, like huge, ridiculous ships. I think it might be dehumanization. I think wow. it's shaking the foundation or the bedrock of your place and importance in the world. Prepare, compared to, like, the propeller of an aircraft carrier, you barely register. It could chop you up in a millisecond and it wouldn't even blink. Well, yeah. it shouldn't blink. It's a propeller. If it blinked, then again, number one, that's not a propeller. And number two, reach out for help. Uh, when we're children, 
We play with miniaturized versions of everything we will eventually see in real life. Tiny matchbox cars. We sit in tubs, pushing little tiny boats around. We're in control. And then when we grow up and see these gargantuan versions of these things we used to play with, I think there's a feeling of a loss of control. For humanity, these are massive achievements. But for one human, I kind of think it can feel overwhelming and you can get lost in it. I'm sort of chasing this theory like a hound, but what do you think? No, I mean, there are, so there, I, I do have other, like, experience, like, when I, when I am brought to the signal of, like, big boats, I'm going to bring it back to big boats, because I Please. do have one context where big boats are super scary, and that is... I think it's adorable um, every time you say big boats, and I don't know bo- why. <laughs> big boats. <laughs> when you were on um, the phone with S- Simplecast, were you like, big boats? <laughs> big boats. I'm scared. <laughs> big boats scared. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> So when I when I met like uh, I, 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 so the latest one I think I can't remember what the movie was I think it was uh, what was the Christopher Nolan uh, Dunkirk Dunkirk I think they had one of these scenes Do you know what I'm talking about with the big boats When they're inside the boat No it, or they're between the boats Tom Oh between right the boats. Yes And this is the same thing that I think about with big buildings Big boats <laughs> If there are two big boats that are together and they are drifting together, they do not care if you are no. between them. And if you are swimming between them and you can't make it, yeah. then they will squish you. And that is yeah. that's like flat eyeball territory for me. It creeps <laughs> me out. Uh, so, yes, those the the big boats. Tugboats are amazing. Why would you want to play with big boats pushing them around like that? That's right. that's a scary thing if you're a tugboat. It really is. You're like the annoying little brother of the sea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just but sort of you also are like have the biggest muscles. Like what is that all about? That's right. Tugboats. You're the Come foster. On. You're the foster. You're the my you're dog the of the sea. You're the foster of ocean. Yes, He's tiny but dog he's got of the sea. Pit bull teeth and muscles. Small but mighty. Um yeah, I think I'm glad that you sort of agree with this cuz I didn't know if there's a a chance that Justin is listening and going, no, it's because it's too big. <laughs> like that I'm going <laughs> way too into this dehumanization thing. But yeah. for me, I mean, I think we talked about in an earlier season, some people look up at the stars and take comfort in how small and insignificant we are. And therefore yes. our problems are insignificant. I find horror there. Yeah. Some part of my ego, and I apologize. I mean, I feel bad to admit it, but some part of my ego kind of wants to believe that when I go to sleep, everyone else disappears. <laughs> Everyone is on pause until I wake up again. It's me again. That's so, that's funny. And because that's not how that's not where I live. Like right. where I live is, oh, my God, what business do we have manufacturing something that is so dramatically and obviously out of our control? Right. We made things that literally could drift into a dock on a rough day yeah. and destroy other things and people like why did we do this and so that i think is the equivalent experience that you have like looking up at the sky and finding fear versus wonder like there are people like i i am uh i i think in some respects uh opposite of somebody like um uh, elon musk like who looks at space and says i'm gonna send a car up there like (laughs) that's not where where my head goes and so um i i don't uh, i don't understand it i can't i'm not wired that way so i think i mean i think we can agree that justin you are definitely not alone uh i think it can manifest in very different ways and for you it's boats and i get it 
things that are, it seems like we together can create things that all of a sudden are so huge. They seem, I think you hit the nail on the head, Pete, when you said, then it's so big, it's out of our control. It no longer needs us or cares for us. And then we make AI and everything is done. (laughs) And And then then it's also huge out of our controls and thinks for itself. Great. (laughs) Pretty soon it's all just giant robots slingshotting all of our cars into space because it turns out Elon Musk was right all along. What? All the cars want to go to space. Weird. <laughs> Robots aim higher. Dancing in the moonlight. The world just stop and stares. We got no destination. I'll take you anywhere. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Your Captain by Banana Split. <laughs> Big boat banana split. <laughs> Coming up next week. Now, having been to Boulder, can you imagine what plant they might be sending to outer space? We're sending weed to the moon. (laughs) Really seems like a long time since we've done one of my patented, always successful visualization exercises. I feel like you stole this from me and you made it worse. I don't think so. If you go back and listen to all of the earlier ones, it's only me and it always works. Here we go. And the children do it to their unsuspecting American teachers. They will stick their fingers up your butt, Tom. It is unpleasant. (laughs) Until then, I am Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? Pete, of course, you've heard the old phrase. What? How do you know that? Oh, I'm sorry. Was it? Okay, you go ahead. Wait. Go ahead. Let's just start again. Okay. Pete, have you heard the old phrase? The the calmer. Wait a minute. minute. (laughs) Did I share my screen? What's happening? The calmer the cow, the sweeter the milk. Is that what you were talking about? Yes. Wait. It's so weird. I think you might have made that up, but it's also true. I don't like this. Check your scent mail. <laughs> oh, I was wondering where that went. You emailed it to me. <laughs> I tried to send it to myself, and I, and I was like, it didn't show up, so I had to resend it. Oh, that's so weird. Well, now we have to... All right, here we go. <clears throat> I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> I live for this. Pete, of course, you've heard of the old phrase, the calmer, the, (laughs) you son of a.